Sorry. Okay. Okay. So we're beginning uh, the Mesilat Nisharim. We are only going to be doing the introduction. We're not going to be doing the rest of the book. You can do that on your own if you wish, or I have recordings where I've taught the book. If you want to listen to that, you can. I taught the book, uh, I don't know how many years ago, but um, very much based on uh, looking at it from the place of our biological drives and how they run. But that's not the purpose of why it is that I wanted to do this. Um, the main purpose that I wanted to do this is because I think that the introduction to the Mesir Aisharim, uh, specifically the dialogue version, which I'll talk about in a moment, you know, explain about, it puts out certain ideas in very frank and explicit terms that you don't often hear spoken about. Uh, and the, the reason why I think it's interesting is because nowadays in all the yeshivot, the whole yeshiva world, and it doesn't matter where, I mean, you know, which group? It's quite interesting that the, the Ramchal suddenly gained, you know, this acceptance almost across the board when in his very short lifetime, he was shunned very terribly for uh, the way that he was acting and the things that he was doing. So um, I'll speak a little bit about that, but it, the, in this introduction, he speaks quite explicitly about certain things that I think are important to be able to at least see written and how it is that he related to them and that you have an awareness that it's here, right? I, I just want to be able to call people's attention to the fact that there's this literature and you do with it what it is that you wish, but to know that it's there and to be aware of what it is that he speaks. Ramchal uh, is a controversial figure. He was a controversial figure in his lifetime. He's a controversial figure today in a certain sense. In his lifetime, you know, he died before he was 40 years old, 39 years old. He, in his 20s, um, was teaching. He was in, lived in Padua, in Italy. His family was wealthy. They educated, they gave him the best education that he could. He was an extremely educated man. And um, there was a university in Padua. It was a, it was a scholarly, intellectual place. And he was teaching uh, Kabbalah in uh, a small group. And it raised the eyebrows of some of the established rabbinic authorities at the time, because he was coming during a historic time that was on the tales of Shabtai Tzvi. And Shabtai Tzvi messed everybody up because he was using Kabbalistic thought and, and charisma and ideas and so on to be able to lure a massive amount of the Jewish world uh, into this messianic uh, frenzy. There were, I mean, I'm talking about everywhere from Poland to Aleppo. People were, were just ready to follow Shabtai Tzvi wherever it was that he went and whatever it is that he said. Um, save, of course, my predecessor, uh, who was the founder of the S&P here in the founding Chacham of the S&P in the UK. He also lived in Amsterdam and he was a Chacham in Amsterdam, but he stood very staunchly against Shabtai Tzvi. Uh, when so many of the rest of the rabbis and people in the world just couldn't see past it. I always say, and whether this is true or not, I don't know, but uh, nor do you, but I believe uh, my heart that the 300 
60 plus years that my kahal uh, is been surviving, living, many times, you know, many situations thriving, is in no small part to this chut of because he wasn't afraid to stand up and say, this is not part of our Torah. This is not our belief. This is not something, I mean, he might be very exciting and very charismatic. And what do you mean? The whole Jewish world is following him. Okay, but they're wrong. Uh, it takes a very formidable individual and a well-rooted individual to be able to um, respond to that in that way, staunchly, clearly. Uh, and so I, I, it's a great honor for me to be able to hold the office that he once held and to be able to lead the kahal that he started and so on. Uh, it should be that I should be in Magiat, you know, a small part of whatever it was that, that he was. Um, and in any case, the Ramhal coming on the coattails of that whole circumstance, uh, everybody was shell-shocked after that, right? When he was exposed to be a charlatan, uh, the Jewish world was very nervous about these kinds of things that we've been duped. Look how easily we fell hook, line, and sinker into this nonsense. And uh, anybody can mess around. So you better keep your eye out for young, charismatic, Kabbalistically inclined people, <laughs> yeah. which the Ramchal, you know, ticked all the boxes. And he was having these private shiurim, you know, and uh, people were really excited to learn from him. And so that had people like Rabbi Moshe Hagiz very nervous. And he decided that uh, the Ramchal needed to be eradicated and stamped out. And so he put the full force of the European rabbinate behind the destruction of Moshe Chaim Uzafi. Uh, interestingly, the Yehidar, Bihaim Yosef David Azulai, who lived around all the same time, you know, these are all, you know, 20 years here, 20 years there, 30 years here, 30 years there. This is all, you know, happening in the 18th century. And so much is awakening and changing. And, you know, century was a nuts of time, unbelievable time on so many levels. Um, but the Hida, uh, he wrote a Sefer Shema Gedolim. Shema Gedolim is basically a you know, concise encyclopedia of all of the Harunim, the rabbis. He, he had a photographic memory, the Hida, or at least it looks like he had a phenomenal memory, whether it was actually photographic or not. He had the, one of the most extensive libraries at the time. He wrote over 70 books in his lifetime. I mean, a tremendous scholar. He traveled all over the known world to raise money for the Anim and Eretz Yisrael. And he writes, uh, he has a journal, he has a diary that he kept while he was traveling about his travels. It's just a beautiful, I mean, it's a wonderful book to read, by the way. Um, he, <laughs> he has some amazing stories in that book. I mean, I used to like to read it on Friday nights after Friday night dinner, I would relax and I'd read it. Well, they called it Ma'agal Tov. I suggest you read it. He writes there about when he visited London and uh, the only Kahal was our Kahal, you know, at the time. And uh, he was, he wanted to raise money and the Mahamad, the board, they wouldn't meet him. They refused to see him. In the end, finally, they met him after Shabbat. The Ramhal, uh, wrote, so I was saying that he traveled all around the world and whenever he would get to a place where there might be rare manuscripts, he would read the manuscripts and he would commit them to memory. And so many times in his writings, he would say, I was in this city, you know, he would write. Um, 
And so he has this book, Shema Gedudim, in where he writes this concise encyclopedia of the Hachamim, you know, Harunim, you know, before him and their books. And I look for the Ramhal, no Ramhal. So I thought maybe it was too close, or maybe you didn't see him, maybe you didn't know him. No mention of the Ramhal, right? He mentions everybody else, the Ramhal's not mentioned. So I, at first thought, maybe he just didn't uh, know or whatever, it didn't reach him. Very strange that it wouldn't, but okay. I was reading Ma'agal Tov. Ma'agal Tov, Rehida visited Padwa. And in Padwa he says, and I saw Gan Mevucha, right? So anybody who knows the Sirei uh, Shari, he talks about this, uh, these garden mazes that were all the, in vogue at the time. If you were a wealthy person, you had estates and you had gardens and grounds, you had these mazes that were made of these shrubs and, you know, uh, that were like, you know, pastime. And the Ramhal says, life is like, uh, without gu guidance, without wisdom, is like a maze where you're stuck in a maze and you don't know how to get out. The person who's been through the maze knows the way, can tell you how to get out. It's a very famous part of the beginning of the Messiah Yishari. So the Hida writes, I saw a maze there. He didn't even call him a rab Moshe Luzato. He just called Moshe Luzato Mesila. So I said, aha. He knew who he was. And he knew what he wrote. And he didn't speak about it. So it was, uh, wasn't right. It wasn't uh, politically acceptable, whether it was politically or religi religiously acceptable, as far as the Hida was concerned, to even mention him. He shouldn't be mentioned. He was off limits. So it's hard for us to recognize in our day and age because the Ramchal is a pretty much a household name. You know, I mean, if you're in Yeshiva, you've heard of the Mesut Sharim. You've probably studied parts of the Mesut Sharim, if not the entire Mesut Sharim, and recognize that there's none of it that you can do. You know, which is usually the experience of most people. After you get past Zehirut, it's like, oh, well, that was fun, but uh, <laughs> this is not for human beings. Um, but what, you, what most people read is the classic, uh, and when I say classic, it's what's the most known Mishidah which is just written as a book in chapters and where it tells you, here's how you, you know, build yourself and get better and find Ruach HaKodesh, if you can hack it. Um, but what we only recently, recently, I'm talking about 15, 20 years, but what we recently uh, found out is that he wrote the Mishidah in dialogue version, which was the way that the, Ram, the Ramha wrote many of his books. He wrote Datu Munot in dialogue version, and other books in dialogue version, dialogue form. And, you know, that's not strange because we know that Ramchal was a playwright. He wrote three morality plays in his time. And uh, the reason why he wrote them, I have them all at home, but the reason why he wrote them was because that was also the way people passed their time. I mean, the morality plays were a big thing at the time, in Italy anyway. And uh, so he wrote three. And there's, uh, you know, characters, men, women playing in these plays. Uh, you know, he wrote one where everybody's an attribute. And he wrote one about Chinchon. Uh, he was also an expert in Hebrew. He was he's recognized as, as kind of one of the main, you know, fathers of modern, modern Hebrew uh, literature. He was an expert in the language. And he wrote a book on Hebrew, on how to use the language, on how to how to give a speech, how to write, you know, prose and so on. Uh, so he wrote these plays and he wrote the Mishai Sharim in dialogue. He set up this whole scenario. The thing is, is that the whole introduction 
in the dialogue form is completely left out of the regular quote unquote version that everybody studies. So what he unpacks and presents in this dialogue form in the opening of the, of the introduction is not present. It's like one line, you know, he kind of says something more well-known version. And it's a chavav, it's a shame. Now, the truth is the only version of the Mesirah Yesharit that we have in his handwriting, his own personal handwriting is the dialogue version. The other version, we have manuscripts, but not his, right? They're not written by him. So it's a bit strange what happened. Did he write two versions? Yeah, we think he did. The prevalent you know, uh, opinion is that he wrote both, yeah? Um, why he would do that, I'm not sure. But that's what many people think. Machon Ofek are the ones who put out the, you know, the dialogue version. In any case, I'm going to suffice it with that because I want to get into it and I don't want to you know, lose it. We have five parts, which hopefully will be enough to be able to get through this if you're still around in the third or fourth part. But um, uh, I think it's important to be able to see A, how it is that he sets it up, B, what are the key points that he puts out, and see, there will be things which I will say are not necessarily 100% in line with Rambam or how it is that Rambam might see things, but nonetheless, I personally don't believe that it is outside the pale, right? It's beyond the pale of you know, what is important for us in our midrash to be aware of. And there are certain things that are quite useful actually for us to be aware of as a source of learning and a resource for our own uh, presentation of, of ideas and, and source for a kind of context. So with that said, I want to get into it. Let's get into the text. And we're going to, the way that we're going to do is we're going to read and explain because, you know, I'm not going to paraphrase it all. Um, so we'll do that. I guess uh, if there's questions after, we'll try. What's our time? 8.46, so we're going to what, 9.30, right? 9.30, okay. Once upon a time, there was a wise person, right? What? Oh, I hate not having a Mac. Wait, where where did it go? Someone's made a blooper read of you saying that. By the way, it's not a blooper. That's a that's a real thing. Okay. Ken? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There was a wise man. He was quite intelligent naturally by God. Also, one of the things about Ramchal is because he was uh, so scholarly he and artistic and loved, uh, you know, poetry, he throws Pesukim right and left into everything he says. And that's also a, a sign of a Svaradi Hakam. Right, people question was he a Sparadi? Well, he's a Western Sparadi, right? but um, the Sparadi Hachamim Psukim are just in everything that they say and everything they do. I mean, you read Hacham and literally, there's like you can't get through three lines without him throwing a, a play on words of a Pasuk somewhere, quoting a Pasuk in the middle of his language. So he, he does that all over. So he, he had a wise man, he was he, he wanted. He wanted to explore wisdom, right? He was an intellectual, basically, 
right, this guy, Dusi. And he studied and enjoyed studying, and he just wanted to be able to know everything that he could know. So he spent his life to do that. Every day and night. He was constantly exploring, constantly, uh, you know, studying, constantly uh, trying to, you know, discover answers to questions and uh, dealing with all kinds of subjects. And he wanted to do this in order to be able to expand his knowledge. Both in the realm of Torah and Mitzvot, and and all of the natural sciences, right? Which is both in the uh, its its own uh, system, uh, wisdom, and its 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 elements and technologies. Anything that would difficult for him to understand, he would bring to his own mind and say, "Get your troops out and let's go." Right? It's a line from Shmuel. His whole goal in life was to just know more. Right? He just wanted to find wherever it was that he could expand his knowledge. So he was basically a career intellectual. That's what he wanted to do with his life. Now, I mean, you know, he goes out. He sees other people, they're not all like him. And there's people that are all around, all kinds of people that are right? They, they create society. So when he would go out <laughs> every single day, yom yom, hasidim. he would see these people that they call themselves Hasidim or people refer to them as Hasidim. These are not our Stanford Hill Hasidim, right? These are people that are pious, like very, seem to be very pious, quote unquote people. They call him litumam leprishutam bahasidutam. They have their, you know, their basic, simple ways of life, simple meaning that they're not trying to find the complexities and levels of intellectual endeavor that he was. They seemed in his eyes to be quite simple, right? What do they do? They're prishut and hasidut. Prishut means they're kind of limiting their uh, engagement in, you know, these pursuits of the world and everything that it has to offer. And their saintliness, hasidut, for lack of a better term, but basically it's their their tov. It's very important to recognize that in Hebrew, hasid is to chesed in the same way that tzaddik is to tzedek, right? People forget that hasid comes from chesed. These are people, essentially a hasid is a person who's engaged in chesed, who builds his or her life around chesed. That's what we call hasid, yeah? spend a lot of time praising God, yeah? A lot of time praying to God. It says in the Gemara, that they should be able to pray all day long. Do a lot of time praying. And whenever you would see them, it would bother him. Like, like what are these, what's wrong with these people? You know, they're wasting their time. And he would say to himself, like, what did they even spend their time understanding, like delving into? What do they know? How on earth could their minds even be satiated when they know nothing? They don't spend any time studying. What, they don't uh, get agitated by the fact that they need to learn? You know, they need to kind of explore? 
Don't they have this drive to kind of understand their world? Come to know. So this is great because what Rahal is doing very, very uh, nicely over here is he's setting up the, the hero and the you know, protagonist and the antagonist. Who's our, who are we rooting for in the story, right? So he wants you at the beginning of the story to root for the Hacham. And the Hasidim, you're with the Hacham. And you're like, oh, there's a bunch of Nebuch people doing nothing, right? So he's, he sets it up, right? He wants you to do that. That none of that occurs, obviously, in the in the Masid Sharim that everybody studies, right? But this is this is his his opening. So he's bringing you into this literary experience, right, to set up his his presentation to you. And the thing is, is that he also wants when you're reading this to relate to the people. You know these people. You know the Hacham, and you think you know the Hasid. And who are you? And he's wondering, you know, he knows that when he's speaking to you, you're going to relate to these people, right? You're going to say either I know them or I'm this guy, right? Or I relate to this guy or that guy. And so he wants you to become very personalized with the argument, yeah? When you just read it as a book that's being spoken to you, okay, I'm is talking to you. But when he tells it to you this way, you have buy-in because one way or another, you relate to the people that he's talking about, either because you know them or because you are them, yeah? In one way or another. So, they suffice with 20 mizmorim that they say a day. They don't need any more than this in their life. You know, they're, they're, they're very, very happy. It's not only, it's more than enough. And they're just relaxed. They're happy, go lucky with their life, with their world. Uh, ignorance is bliss. Ani. As for me, my entire life, all I do is I like, think I, I don't know enough. Right? I need to learn more. It doesn't allow me to sleep. I can't sleep at night because I'm bothered by questions that I don't have answered. Yeah. I find no joy, right? I'm just saying joy. Korat ruach means coming, cooling of my of my spirit, uh, when something is not an intellectual endeavor, right? when it doesn't stimulate my, my intellect. Right? Or something that is looking at trying to understand principles. Hakdamot literally are introductions, right? But like in, you know, these opening thoughts, ideas. You know what I would love? I'd love to interview them one time. And get into their head, right? I want to. Inter- I want to understand them too. Maybe an hour, two, three, could sit and figure these people out, right? Understand what makes them tick. Yeah, I want to understand them too. So he's a psychologist, also. What do they know? What things do they know? All this time they spend, you know, in their in their personal personal space, their their. Their isolated moments, and their uh, and whatever it is that they read, Sefer Hasidim, whatever books, Hasidic books they have, I don't know what they've got. Asheru kore baimtani. I mean, I can't even imagine what they could possibly find in these books, right? Or what they might know, which is quite uh, presumptuous and an assumption. But nonetheless, nonetheless, he says, I mean, I didn't even waste one 
moment in those silly books that they read. Not only that, I don't even want to see them. I'm not even interested. I know that I'm going to get nothing from them. I know already that it's not going to give me anything. These guys, night and day, they got these books in their hands. Okay? As if they never heard before, be a tzaddik. You know, okay, now we got it. Be a tzaddik. Yashar, Neman, be a, you know, an, up, an, up, an upright, faithful person. Don't be a rasha. Right? Don't, don't do Averot. We know that. How much could a person possibly unpack that? Like by my life, he says, I'm dying to, to, to sit with one of them one day and just understand what, what, what is, what's with them. What, what is it that quenches their thirst? Okay. Sure enough, one day, he sees one of these Hasidim coming his way. When they were in primary school, they used to play in the sandbox together. I couldn't believe it. It's like, Shlomi, I, I have not seen you since we were kids in school. And at one point, when they went to high school, he went off on his own way, and they, he kind of like got excited about other things. And went and joined the Hasidim. I didn't see him again till today. And there he is. It shlomi me from the sandbox. He was so happy to see him. And he said, wow. I have waited for this day my whole life. You're a Hasid, I know. I said, oh, I got to ask you. He runs to him. He's thrilled. He's got, he's got a Hasid he can talk to now. Where's that from? So he bows him, he asks each other, who did you say? I thought I heard okay. So he brings him to his house and they sit and rest a little bit. Can I get you a Coke? Uh, some crisps. Look, even Because look, can I ask, would you mind, can we like sit for a couple hours? Uh, I really have some stuff that I need to ask you. The Hakam says to the Hasid, his childhood friend. The Hasid says, he goes, shoot, I'm here, whatever you want. I mean, I've been wanting to talk to you forever. Not you per se, but you know, one of you, <laughs> but here you are. I want to share what we both kind of spend our time with. Like, what do you do in your life? What do I do in my life? And then kind of like compare notes. He goes, bro, I'm here. Uh, whatever you want. He goes, truth is, I'm just as interested to find out about you as you are to find out about me because I don't know what the heck you're doing. With your life. He doesn't say that. I threw that in, but nonetheless. Okay. So the Hacham says, What do you do all day? And what do you get from it? Which is a very broad question. I mean, if you're interviewing people, it's not a great interview question because it's very open ended. How are you supposed to answer? The Hasid says, 
I mean, if I'm honest, I really am only interested in one thing. All of the work in my life is really only one thing. And that is Pirishut. Right? So now a Sephardi uh, reading this, a classic Sephardi reading this, alarms go off. Why? Because what is Pirishut? Pirishut literally means to keep from. Right? Paresh, right, means to keep away. So he goes, everything I do in my life is to learn how to keep away from things. So we don't know what that means. Yeah, could be that this is a problem. He should be maybe with the Ashkenazim. I don't know, but that's what he says. He says, that's all I can say. I don't have much more to tell you that. I spend my life, Poresh, to, to recognize what I should not engage with. That's his whole life, right? So interesting. He says, uh, I don't have much more to say about it than that. Why don't you tell me what you do? Saperata. I mean, I'm, I know you spend a lot of time studying. Tell me, like, what have you learned in your life? Atar beta idiot, you'll tell me many, but I mean, you know much more than I do. For sure. Your, the, the eye of your mind has explored all of the hidden treasures of knowledge. Show me the fruits of your labor. Because, you know, give me a little to drink from what you've, uh, what you've taken. The Hacham says, my brother, I can't talk to you about wisdom. You know nothing. The only thing you know is to keep to yourself. So, I mean, what do you do? You say some mizmorete yudid? Tahanunim. You know, you pray. You don't even begin to know how to think. So how can I talk to you about uh, wisdom? Literally, it's what he tells him. He goes, you don't know how to think. You haven't spent your time practicing thought. You don't know how to think. So you don't begin to have a sense of the academics. I mean, look, all of the intellect and intellectual ideas that I would share with you to you is like a closed book. It's not going to mean anything to you. It was quite, uh, you know, a bit condescending, but nonetheless. You never tried it? The ways of thinking that I know are concealed to you. You don't, you don't have access to them. I mean, you know, the mind works like language. The more you speak it, the better you are at it. Yeah? So, I mean, if you only know how to speak Ashdodit, right, or you only speak English, you're never going to be able to learn how to speak, you don't know German, right? You don't speak It's like languages. If you don't know how to speak a language, you don't understand what they're saying. So he says, intellect, my, my intellectual endeavors are language. You don't understand my language, is basically what he's saying to the Hasid. Um, and he says, same thing. Right? A person who doesn't, is not used to the, the dialectics of the Talmud are not going to be able to get involved in their sugyot, in its sugyot. 
כיוון שאתה רחוק מן הדרך הזה היום, you're very far from my path. So the Hasid hears all this, says, look, uh, okay, לא תאמר לי מה שידעת אם אני יכול להבין, don't tell me what you know if I can't understand it. Why don't you just tell me נושאי הידיעות, just tell me the subjects you've studied. How about that? Chan says, I can do that, that I can do. I'll tell you subjects. Ken, זאת ארץ. He says, right? He has this all very well categorized in the set. He goes, the truth is I spend my time studying two areas, two major areas. Kodesh behold, right? There's a name that we would call Kodesh, right? The things that are essentially Torah or there's everything else. Right? It's study of Torah itself. And the other is whatever is not Torah, right? Not specifically Torah, whatever is not mentioned in Torah, outside Torah. Now, when I study Torah, it's also broken down into categories. I study the mitzvot and the dinim of the mitzvot. Right? What are the commandments and what are the laws that come from the commandments? Also, I also study the Talmud and the hachamim who are posek. That itself is broken down into two things. A person can study the Talmud in different ways. You can study the Talmud in terms of the actual dialectics and deal with the nature of the rhetoric. Or you can just study it to understand what the law is that comes out. I study both. I'm interested in looking at it in both ways. Okay. Now, truth is, if a person wanted to, they could spend their entire lives in either one of those disciplines. They could study the Talmud one way with their people, they could study it the other way. But uh, what a person should properly do is spend some time in one and some time in the other and get it to, you know, get to, to study it that way in broadness. It says already about the Torah, right, that the Torah is it's wider than, you know, the territories on earth and more expansive than the ocean itself. We know that the Torah, I mean, you know, can be broken down and broken down and broken down. And there's no end to, you know, the developments that one can have in Torah. We need to be able to know what to do in our lives as Israel. And to be able to be, to have strong familiarity with the Talmud, we need to understand its mechanisms and its, and its legal uh, conclusions. Well, you can't live without knowing what to do. And then he says, with regards to Pilpu part, there's included in that, uh, you know, there's Midrashim in the Gemara, right? There's the Agadot, which are weird. There's a whole bunch of strange Agadot in the Gemara, and we need to explain them. You know, to be able to, to figure them out. Like, like uprooting mountains, borrowing from Masechet Horayot. To put things together, to figure out the contextual interconnections of things and to understand how it is that the, the elements that are put out by the Hachamim relate to each other and to try and figure out what it is that the Hachamim are saying because these are these are the riddles of the Hachamim, which is important to recognize because the Ramchal is clearly saying like Haram Bamba 
Rashi might not meant to be taken literally. I mean, he's a hachan after all. He's not, he's not going to make him, you know, make himself look like they should take him at face value. So uh, he says, "Reze hadashu lo sa'arum is motam tehila." He says, uh, "People, you know, they can find things that they never knew before, right? That, uh, maybe haven't heard before, been heard spoken about before." Because in truth of the matter is everybody has their specialties, the things that they like to study more. Some people love to spend all their time in Midrash. Sometimes people start, love to spend their time in Halachot. Some people like to study the, you know, the ins and outs of the Talmud. Everybody has everything. It's like it says, Adam no Wherever your heart joins. Now, right? And when I talk about whole, what I mean is whatever is not in the Torah. Right? Whatever is not in the text of the Torah or the text of the heart. I mean, I mean, first of all, there's science and nature, just to know about the world and how it works. Now, it's very important to understand. If you're learning this book, in every yeshiva, this is already a problem. Yeah, this is not in the Mashiach that everybody learns. Yeah, but here he's saying, I mean, I'm a hacham. We know that this hacham is 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 uh, you know a person who's neeman to Torah, and he's saying, you know, you gotta we gotta study this stuff. We need to be able to know how it is that the world works, what is functional, what isn't functional, what's viable and what's not viable in the world. Not only that, about humanity, human life. How does how does a human being live in this world and what works for him? Uh, means the things that a human being engages with and uses, and the systems and structures of human life are also important to study and understand. I mean, at the end of the day, you also need to study all of the things that create a better way of living a human life. So technologies and political systems and psychology and all of those kinds of things are very important for us to be able to know. We need to understand also astronomy, how it is that the heavens affect us, the earth itself and its movements and so on. That we need to be able to know. And we need to know basically about everything that's created and how it runs. Those are the subjects. Which basically deal with all of the stuff that there is to know around there. The more that they studied, the better it is, the more praiseworthy. The Hasid says, Wow. You know a lot. So I, he goes, you know, but I, I, I'm interested. I would like to ask you. Uh, and this is, by the way, right here at this point is where the Ramchal shifts, turns the tables on who's the hero of the story. Because here is where the, the Hasid very calmly, very nonchalantly uh, undermines everything that he says. He says to him, because, you know, the things that are necessary for you in order to be able to actualize yourself 
Shilamut means to be able to bring yourself into wholeness, your own holistic being. You know about that stuff, then you have to study about that. And what about your relationship between you and God? How, what, what about that? I mean, I heard you talking about the Gemara and the Halachot and the world, of course, and the technologies and the sciences and so on. I mean, you know a lot. But I mean, like in that, is there, how about like your own personal development as a human being and your relationship with God? How's that? How's that? I, I missed that because I don't think you said that. Is that what you're in? What's the wholeness of, of a human being? It's very simple. You listen to what God said and follow his rules. Follow the commandments. Every mitzvah and it's time to be performed appropriately. I mean, when I study the Gemara and the Talmud and the Poskim, I know what to do. I know what I need to do in order to be able to be a whole person. I know what to do in order to be a responsibility. I mean, what more is there besides the phone? I'm sorry. Oh, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. I mean, being that you know all of this, I mean, you must know, of course, what it is that you need to be a whole and complete person with regards to your deeds, your actions. But what about mitzad libecha? Does that include like what's in your heart and mind? Where those things are? I'm just asking. I mean, I'm wondering, you know. So the Hacham says, the Hachamim already said, Klal Gadol. I mean, it's a massive principle. You think I don't know that? It's a massive principle. Kol the motivating factor for everything you should do should be for God, for the sake of heaven. Let's overcomplicate things. The Hasid says, well, I mean, well, if that's the case, then we both agree on one thing. Now, this is a very important form of rhetoric. Because what the Hasid is doing is he's saying, oh, so we agree on something. And he uses the point of agreement to move the argument, right? Which is a very old tactic and it's a very important tactic. But always find the point of agreement. He goes, well, if that's the case, there's one thing that we both agree on. And that is that deeds alone are not enough. Correct? I mean, it's not enough just to do things to serve God. You need the aim of one's heart and the upright nature of a person's mind. In other words, a person's mind can't be crooked. It's got to be straight. What idiot wouldn't agree with that? To the contrary. The whole essence of serving God is one's heart, says the Hacham. Amru Hachami goes, I'll prove it to you. It says in the Pasuk, right? Good mind, right? They have a good sechel to everybody who does them. Hachamim say, what does it mean? Those who do them, it's about the Shema. Not to the ones who do them, it's about the Shema. Not for its proper sake. Anybody who engages in mitzvot, uh, better not be created. 
obviously the Yishma is the, the mental context within which a person performs a mitzvah. Right, the pasuk says, says with regards to God, they they appease God with their mouths and their hearts are not there. It's one of the criticisms of the Navi. Right, he's on a roll. He's like, yeah, I'm right with you. Rabbi Azar Arach says, "Lev Tov." The most important thing of a person, they were measuring what's the best midah of a person. Best midah of a person is Lev Tov. And the Mishnah says, he's got it. Everybody, everything else you say, Ayn Tova and all that, everything is Bichlal the Lev Tov. Lev Tov is Lev Tov. Everything else is Tov. Yechriya Bani Hanam and Zakai was looking at his students. Rabbi Azab ben Rach was one of his students. Rabbi Azab said, Lev Tov is the best thing. It's the best thing. It says, Pashut. I mean, if people are doing good deeds with bad intent, it's, 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 the, it's, the, it's tantamount to using the king's uh, paraphernalia, the king's artifacts, the king's uh, tools and, uh, and vessels against him. Yeah? Nothing worse than that. Right? Okay, so he's got him right where he wants him. The Hasid has Aham right where he wants him. Because look how passionate he is about the idea. He says the ma'asima kankan. I mean, the, the actions are just the vessels. What's in the vessel, which is what's important, the wine, not the wine bottle. The wine is the, the heart. As the achamim say, al tistakel bakankan and ma'ashiyeshbo. Don't look at the vessel. Look what's inside it. Even if a person does all the mitzvot in the world, ke'ahat. He will not appease God. It won't make God happy if his heart's not there. It's like a person who brings a minha, a meal offering in a, an impure vessel. On and on. Like he's like, you know, it's a better shiur than any of us are giving. He's giving all of I should have given this the other day. It's not going to be desired by God. It's only when a person brings them in hand on a pure vessel that he's bringing it to the house of God. Right? If your heart is, is, is uh, in the right place, you're blessed. You have said so much. So much. I mean, what I would have wanted to say to you, you've already said to me. You've got me. You're like right down with where I'm at. It's not even a no question about that. That's what you're trying to get me on. It's so pursuit. I mean, that's a firm stake in the ground. Any right? So there's no no question about it. So the Hasid says, well, I mean, I, I mean, I have one. I, well, I have one question. I mean, I get we're all we're jiving here and everything is great and we all agree, but I do I do have one question if I can ask. You know, everything that's necessary for the wholeness of a person. You did say, right, that that's part of the 613 Mizmon that we've been commanded. Right? It's one of the mitzvot, and if that's the case, the kaviyag mitzvot he nek tzarim him, 
I mean, everybody knows that the mitzvot themselves, like the actual statement of mitzvah, are very concise. They're not elaborate. And everybody knows that yun harav shasita kol shanim. I mean, all this study that you've done, all of these years, well, what was that about? Mitzvot, like you're saying, do the mitzvah. So what was, what are you spending so much time on? You know, they're very, very simple. Achsam says, it's true that there's only 613 mitzvot, but every single one of them, it says about them, they're massive. They're expansive. Every single one of them expands into, into development and applications and scenarios and, and so on and so forth. Yes, the principles themselves are very short and concise, but the pratim, but the details that emanate from the principles, pratim, the details of details, they just kept getting more and more exponentially great, right? There's no limit. Even if people wrote double the books that are already written on the mitzvot and the dinim and the halachot and so on and so forth, they still wouldn't be able to completely say, okay, now we've got it, right? There's still going to be questions. There's going to be questions. There's going to be nuances. There's going to be innovations. The mitzvot are principles, and which is another point that he's making, which is very important. What are the mitzvot? Same mitzvot are principles. And the principles require applications. And the applications, there's no end to the applications and the scenarios, which is extremely important. Right? So I'm saying that. So the Hasid says, do your ears hear what your mouth is saying? Which is a slight. He's, he's trying to get it. He goes, I mean, you've said something very significant. All right, I mean, let's take an example with the sukkah. Mitzvah l'sheh b'sukkah. Ziklat. That's a principle. Torah says, sit in the sukkah. And it has a tremendous amount of details. Have you ever studied Masechet Sukkah? I mean, who needs Masechet Sukkah when you have one clear pasuk that tells you sit in the Sukkah? Well, I mean, there's a whole bunch of questions that come as a result of it have to be applied. So here I'm kol kach halachot, kol kach she'elot tshuvot, v'adayin endai. And still it's not enough. Still, even everything that's been put out in the Talmud needs to now be applied to situations that they didn't even address. Right? Mitzvah l'aniyah tefillin. Mitzvah to put on tefillin. It's a whole bunch of questions. Sanctifying the moon. Every single one of them, we could potentially have a thousand questions in terms of application and practice. I mean, why do we have a whole uh, Q&A in the Discord if not for that reason? Gosh. So I want to ask you, you know, what about this principle that all of the things you do should be for the sake of heaven? Uh, is that um, an anomaly? Is that a principle that has no details? I'm just curious. I mean, is that one of these strange, unique principles that everybody just gets its end result in every situation perfectly? Limud doesn't require any study, Mr. Hacham, who's spending all your time studying. What about you know the mitzvah of the fear of God, which is clearly a mitzvah? What about the mitzvah of loving God, which is clearly a mitzvah? It's one of the 613 mitzvot. Nobody can argue with that, right? I mean, Harambam counts them. 
That's one of them. They're one of the first ones. Are you telling me that those mitzvot are not like sukkah and tefillin and mezuzah? That they're much simpler and easier and they don't have details and applications and questions and answers and nuances? So the hacham says, uh, they're very straightforward. And I know it doesn't take so much understanding to know that lira is to when it says to fear God is uh, a lot of fear. Because of his greatness. When it says to love him, you love him more than anything. The best love that you can have. And that you know you should do everything for him. Amar Hasid. Hasid says, I can't believe that you think you're smart. I cannot believe you're you're an intelligent person. The Hasid is saying to him, right? So all of a sudden everything is flipped. The Hasid is not such a nebuch. And he's turning and says, I don't understand. You're telling me that you're an intelligent person. And you are an intelligent person. And I'm shocked at the fact that you think that you, you, know, you, you spend your life dealing with the, the most nuanced details of thought. And in this thing, you deal with it so superficially. The depth of it, you treat very lightly. He goes, I want you to tell me honestly, truly in your heart. All this time that you've spent studying law, the details and applications of law. Not only that, all of the other disciplines of wisdom that you studied. Did you spend a tenth of the time contemplating what it means and how it is that we are supposed to love God, fear God, approach Him with our hearts? What about all the thousands of questions and answers that you've read and studied and read and written? written? Any questions on those issues? Interesting, Rav Kafer, he has a whole book of Shilot and Shabbat on those issues. Anyway, Amar HaKam. HaKam says, Ani Omar Ahmed, look, I'll tell you the truth. No. He goes, <laughs> He goes, absolutely not. Uh, forget a tenth, not, a not one of, out of 200. Not one of 1,000th of my time have I spent on that. But the reason for that is because I genuinely believe that it's not necessary to do that. They are They're straightforward and clear. Love. God, the best way you can, fear him the most you can, Khalas. carry on with your life and start to understand things you need to understand. 
The Hasid says to him, so he's making no qualms about it, right? He's saying, clearly, I don't think that takes any necessary thought. It's not something you need to think about. So the Hasid says, Now, who's saying they don't know what you're talking about? Right? The Hakam said, you don't know what I'm talking about. I can't tell you. Well, the Hasid says, you don't tell somebody who didn't see the new moon, come and testify. So you think that these things are superficial and there's nothing to them. You don't know what you're talking about because you've never spent any time on it. If you would have spent some time on it, and after spending time on it and thinking about it, you came to the conclusion that there was nothing there, well, then fine. I mean, what can I tell you? But you haven't spent any time on it. How do you know if it's light or heavy? You haven't looked at it. If it's something smaller, great. This is just what you happen to think superficially looking at it. You made a decision without really looking at it, which is shocking because you're supposed to be an intellectual. What else is he saying about the intellectual? Why does the intellectual not look at those things as though they're things that have to be unpacked? Where does he live? He lives in his head. Right? It's one of the problems with intellectualism. You see your body as a way to bring your head from meeting to meeting. And so he's saying, you don't even know what these things are. You think you know what these things are. And they're not so as simple as you think they are. The truth of the matter is, if I'm honest, says the Hasid, there's a very clear pasuk that shows that you're wrong and I'm right. These things, the issues of Ava and Yir'ah and the approach of your heart are the core and the most important things. And the mitzvot and the dinim are last. That's a very powerful thing to say. That's also not in the typical Mesayish that everybody's telling but he says, I'm going to show you from the Pasuk that I'm right and you're wrong. He says, consider the following. It says, first of all, the opposite of what you think. What is genuine wisdom? The fear of God. The Hachamim on that Pasuk expounded and said, they call it one. Greek, right? Number one is, is ahat. Ahat in Greek is one, meaning the way that we talk. So that's where the number one comes from, right? Hin, one. The Pasuk teaches us two things. The first it teaches us is that true wisdom is the, is the fear of God. When you know that, you can be called a hacha. Right? It's absolutely unique among all of the disciplines that we study. This is what the hachamim are saying by saying that it's one, right? It's unique, right? I mean, the bottom line is if there wasn't issues that needed to be studied in it, it wouldn't be called a hachma. Simple. 
it would have called it maybe a Musar or Yosher, right? It would have called it, you know, a cultural thing or, a, you know, a, a straight and upright way to be. It wouldn't have called it a Chokhmah. All the more so, I wouldn't say this uniquely is Chokhmah. And not only that, I want you to tell me, you think that there are no details to fear and love and the, the uh, mindset that a person has and the approach of one's heart? We don't have to understand. What are the, the, the extended elements of these things? To what degree they reach our lives? How we're supposed to live them? Those are not questions. If you have any words to answer me, please do. Because it would be good right now to hear what you're saying. Because I don't understand you. These things are so simple, like eating and sleeping. Yes, they're in us. But are there not questions of how it is that I, 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 I incorporate them into my life? Well, what are the things that keep me from loving? I mean, they didn't know this, but, you know, we could have asked Eric Fromm. There was no need for him to write The Art of Loving if there weren't such questions about it. There are nothing that we should consider. What is it that keeps me from fearing God? What is it that keeps me from loving? What is it that brings me closer to loving? What is it that helps me understand what fear should be? Those are not questions that we should deal with. I don't understand. Why does that not require uh, delving into and looking at to the point, I mean, I can't understand that you just think it doesn't even require anything to look at, it doesn't require anything. You've, you've uh, uh, admitted yourself that you don't think there's anything to think about with regards to these things. I'll tell you, my friend, what you have. The only thing that you have in your hand is rote. You do it because you watch your parents do it and they watch theirs do it and you think you've got it. And you only have what you, what every Jew says just because they're Jews. And that's a Jewish thing to say. Bottom line, what you're doing, my friend, is rote. You watch and you do. And you think that that's enough. And you don't think about what's underlying it and where, what should my thought and approach be to it. His answer is, So he goes, look, the truth is, I didn't think they required a lot of thought. We're going to stop there. Should we keep going? That's what he goes, 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 he